0: The game during the regular season that I always remember was uh, the game against Boise State. That was the homecoming game in 95, and it was the first game where the original north and south end zone had, had been expanded with seating. So it was like the largest capacity uh, game in the history of the stadium, went, mm-hmm. which at that time was like 18,000 people. And to me, like that moment, that game and the way that they had beat Boise State, who had played for the national championship the year before under, under Pokey Allen and had a ton of people back. And then but that was a big that was a big game because they had beat Montana in 94 in Boise. Dave got hurt that game, so I think that was a real revenge game and a game that that made Montana a serious contender to do something.
1: Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. I am Coulter Nuanez from 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as SkylineSportsMT.com, bringing you Grizz Greats, our second iteration of the Grizz Greats podcast series, proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank. Grizz Greats chronicles the 25th anniversary of Montana's run to the 1995 National Championship, the first Division I AA football title in the history of the school. And this Grizz Greats will be joined by John Cass. Asper. John is the Senior Associate Commissioner for Championships at the Big Sky Conference and someone that's worked at the league office since 2004. He is a native of Great Falls, Montana, grew up and went to high school with Dave Dickinson, the legendary quarterback for the 1995 Grizz team. And then John was in college during Montana's run to the 1995 National Championship, working at both the Montana Kaiman and the student radio station at the University of Montana and then working at the Missoulian before then taking over as the Missoulian's beat writer for the University of Montana football program program shortly after his graduation from U.N. John is a multiple-time award winner as a sports writer and a guy that really appreciates the history of the University of Montana as well as the Big Sky Conference as a whole. He had a huge hand in helping craft the Big Sky Conference's top 50 male athletes in the 50-year history of the league when they celebrated that anniversary back in 2013, and Dave Dickinson, his former high school teammate, was the number one player on that list. Please enjoy Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Ryan Tutel, Colton Nuon is happy to be along with you and we are very happy to be joined In this episode by John Casper. He is the Senior Associate Commissioner of the Big Sky Conference. He is a graduate of the University of Montana and was a student during the uh, magical 1995 season. But all of this pales in comparison to his most amazing accomplishment in, uh, in in his whole life. And that is catching the first high school touchdown from Ryan Leaf back in Great Falls, right? CMR right high school and you caught for a touchdown from Ryan Leaf Casper. You got that whole uh, thing started, man. Yes, I did. A
0: 40-yard post pattern against uh Helena High. And then I caught one another one from him
2: like uh 2 weeks later. Now, were you yeah, were you in, CMR, were you rock, in Leaf course. tight? Are you guys boys or how does that work?
0: I wouldn't necessarily say that. <laughs> um <laughs> It's been he a was, life of distancing. Uh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I but I mean, I feel for him now. I, I want him to stay uh, clean. I want him to stay happy. I want him to stay uh, healthy. So, yeah, no doubt. Uh, drug addiction is never a fun thing. And so I'm rooting for him, man. I'm rooting for him. Uh,
2: John, let's talk about uh, your... Your path and your view on this, because from high school in the state of Montana to the University of Montana to journalism and being a sports journalist, and then into the administrative side, you've seen sports and especially the Big Sky Conference in particular from all these different angles. And matriculating through the state of Montana and the University of Montana, tell us about you know Montana back in the day, both you know high school and Great Falls and what your perception of Grizz football was, especially at that time. Because listen, before before the national championship and all that kind of stuff, I mean. It, Montana was you know some good and some pretty lean years right
0: yeah correct so I grew up in North Dakota and I moved to Montana in February of 1989 and if you remember uh, the coach at Montana State was Earl Solomonson who as a young kid was the coach at North Dakota State for two years Um, and he won two back-to-back national titles and then he went to Montana State he was actually hired by our former commissioner, Doug Fullerton. So I was a little bit familiar with Montana state because Earl leaving North Dakota state was, was a big story. And then I moved out to, to, to gray falls, Montana. Um, you know, my eighth grade year and started first of all, becoming familiar with CM Russell football and what that was all about and Jack Johnson and what he was all about. And, um, that, Fall, I attended my first uh, Montana football game uh, when they played Jackson State in the first round of the 1989 playoffs. Had my first Mo Club burger uh, that weekend, and so I point to that as almost like a life-changing experience because the burger you can't not <laughs> both, well, both the both the burger and. <laughs> going to that Grizz uh, football game and right. seeing, you know, Tim Houck, Grady Bennett, Mike Rankin, those were like the three stars from that team. And that was the first, you know, Grizzly football team to advance to the national, uh, you know, 1AA at the time semifinals that year. So um, kind of fell in love with Missoula that weekend. If you look back at that era of Montana high school football, um, you can see how it helped lead to the 1995, you know, national championship. The the team that Dave played on when I was a sophomore and he was a senior was ranked 20th in the country by USA Today. I mean, that seems mind-boggling to me, that a team from Montana would be ranked in the top 25 in the nation. And, you know, they won 24 straight games, two state titles in 89 and '90. And then the Butte team that won the 91 state title, I believe, was also ranked um, in, in the USA Today Top 25 poll. And, you know, that team had Josh Pathhausen, Randy Riley, um, and those guys, you know, played on the 95 national championship team. And Helena Capital was really strong. That's who my team beat my senior year for the state title. And Andy Larson was the kicker on that team, Jason Crebo who was a starting linebacker on the 95 team, uh, was at Capital that year. So it was a really, really good high school football at the AA level in the state of Montana during that era.
1: Talk about CMR specifically, because all the way through, even when I was in high school, CMR was an absolute juggernaut. And I I know that they've... uh, coming back to the pack a little bit since Jack Johnson stepped away, but the practices on pride field have been legendary forever. And and just the toughness that Jack Johnson demanded out of his players and the identity that CMR had that was so consistent for so long, all the wins, I mean, over 300 wins, 13 state championships, all of it. But I think that it's so interesting to me that although CMR always had this reputation as winning with tough, hard-nosed football, run it down your throat, play tough defense, some of the best linemen on both sides of the ball always came out of CMR. But the fact of the matter is, if you were the starting quarterback at CMR for a good 20, maybe even 25-year span, you're a Division One guy. Not only Dave Dickinson, Ryan Leaf, Brady Leaf, Justin Hartman, on down the line, you know Jake Bleskin from Montana State more recently. Why was Coach Johnson so good well, at cu- cultivating and developing quarterbacks?
0: That, that's a great question. And and you're going forward, I'll go back from Dave Dickinson and talk about guys like John Leister who went to Michigan State yep. and who actually played in Major League Baseball for the Boston Red Sox and uh, Art West, um, I believe, went to Cal. Uh, Carmen Campania, who went to uh, Texas Tech, I believe. Now, they all maybe didn't play quarterback in college, but they were, they were quarterbacks. And, um, you know, there were, there were other CMR quarterbacks that went on and played other college sports. And at one time I had kind of gone through that to see, like, if you were the starting quarterback at CMR, how many of those guys went on to play, um, you know, maybe Division One sports, but maybe even at the NAI level. And almost every single one was either, you know, a baseball, basketball, or football player at the college level. And I always pointed to um, the consistency that Jack had with his coaching staffs. A lot of times in high school, you know, he, guys don't stick around because they're always you know, looking for the next job or um, they're a teacher and maybe don't want to put in the time to coach. But he had a core of assistant coaches that stayed with him for a really long time, and one of those guys was uh, Sparky Cockey And he was actually the quarterback coach um, at CMR. I mean, when Dave was there, when I was there, um, for probably 35 years that, that Jack was the – the um, head coach so I thought that was was really special about CMR the way that those assistant coaches stayed um, loyal to Jack and and stayed on staff and it allowed them to build a program with a lot of continuity where everyone knew what the expectations were
1: so you moved to Montana late 80s but the one dynamic that's always been so interesting to me is in in rural states uh, oftentimes you know state universities are big draws for in-state kids but Oftentimes, the quality of the sports programs are the greatest marketing tools for, uh, you know, the front porch of the university, as we always hear. And right. I mean, Absolutely. In, the, in the 70s, you know, Sonny Holland and the Bobcats had a rolling. But then you mentioned Earl Salmonson, he comes in, replaces Dave Arnold. And uh, Montana State football, it, it took a turn uh, away from the ranks of the elite. And in the meantime... Montana gets rid of Larry Donovan, they bring in Don Reed, and the upper momentum was crazy. When you were making your decision, when you were coming out of high school, was that an influence on you, and how much of an influence do you think just the opposite trajectories of the football program had in high school kids uh, throughout the state at that time?
0: Uh, that's, a, that's a good, fair question. You know, By the time that I left high school, Cliff Heisel was Montana State's coach. And I had a couple of really good friends who went to Montana State to, to play for Cliff, one Mike Hennenberg, who's now the, who later transferred to North University of North Dakota, but he's now the athletic director at the Great Falls School, and another uh, Jeff Alexander with a linebacker, uh, our punter kicker, Eric Malone, uh, kicked for the Bobcats. But to be honest, I wanted to go into journalism, so my choice was pretty easy to go to the University of Montana, but because, you know, Dave had been our quarterback, Obviously, I was really excited to get to go to the University of Montana and see, you know, see what Dave could do as a, as a college kid. So my first week in college was the first week that he started a game, and that was the crazy South Dakota State game where he started, got pulled, they fell behind, and then had this amazing rally to come back and win. So that, that was my first week of college.
2: And so, during your time there, it parallels. You know, it's, it's so interesting to talk to a non-player, but certainly a friend of, and also a student. Right, a kid who's there in the student section, yeah. shirt off, belly painted, the whole deal. <laughs> John Casper, front yeah, and that, center. No, no, that that wasn't me. I don't believe you. <laughs> I just don't believe it. This is the only thing that I know to be true. But you know, talk about that experience because again. Washington Grizzly Stadium is is pretty state of the art, you know, at this time. Well, it's still state of the art as they've added to it, but you know, this this still, you know, kind of glistening new stadium, new feature, and it's building, right? The fan base, the student base right. of, of fandom. What was it like in those years, you know, in the in the early nineties to be a student, to be attending games and to see this thing building like that?
0: Well, remember the time was different, man. It was 1993. We didn't have cell phones. Um, every freaking game was not on TV. Right. Uh, so, and, and when you're living on campus, yeah, it was a big deal to go, uh, to those games on Saturday and it was building, um, at that time the end zones were still grass. So the stadium only seated, you know, what, 14,000 people. And, you know, there was no video board in the stadium, there was just the scoreboard in the South end zone. Um, And, you know, there was some questions about how good Montana football was going to be because at 89, they had, you know, made the semifinals and then, you know, had a couple like six and five seasons, didn't make uh, the playoffs. And then they entered that 93 season and they didn't know who was going to be their quarterback. Was it Dave or was it, was it Bert? But, you could see it build um, you know, from ninety three to ninety five. When we start talking about that ninety five season, the game during the regular season that I always remember was uh the game against Boise State. That was the homecoming game in ninety five and it was the first game where the original north and south end zones had had been expanded with seating. So it was like the largest capacity uh, game in the history of the stadium, which mm-hmm. at that time was like eighteen thousand people, and to me, like that moment, that game, and the way that they had beat Boise State, who had played for the national championship the year before under under Pokey Allen, and had a ton of people back, and then things kind of went sideways for that team, like in the off season leading up to the season, and it. Um, but that was a big that was a big game because they had beat Montana. Uh, in '94 in Boise, Dave got hurt that game, um, so I think that was a real revenge game and, and a game that put that made Montana like a serious contender to do something in '95. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun time because Grizzly football was growing and and they had made the playoffs in you know '93 and then '94 '94 um, went back to the to the national semifinals and had a crazy playoff win over magnees state in a game that i admit that i left because i was like there's no way they can win this game and I remember walking back to my fraternity house and we heard the cannon go off and we kind of turned and looked at each other like what what happened and you know a couple of minutes later a guy riding his bike you know rode by us and was like they won the game I'm like oh no god we left we left and we didn't see what happened so
2: yeah
3: Connections are what bring us together. Whether halfway around the world or in the office next door, Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more
1: so uh, interesting to look at this through the lens of now because you know right now current head coach Bobby Hauk he always talks about how it's a big game if Montana's playing in the game everybody in the league considers Montana the arrival I know part of that is just Bobby Hauk's persona his personality but also part of it, it it reigns true I mean I think that there's a lot of teams Eastern Washington, Idaho, Weber State they all get up for the Montana game and it's easy to think of Montana and I know this last decade has not been as kind to the Grizzlies as the previous two were, but it's easy to think of Montana as this juggernaut, this Goliath, you know, the biggest and baddest stadium in, in all of FCS football and, and one of the most passionate and and uh, fervent fan bases. But then it was more as if Montana was an upstart. They have this little quarterback running around everywhere, dicing people apart, but Dave's by no means a big guy. And they had all these little small receivers, and they were running all these crazy bubble screens and this awesome spread offense. What do you remember about that dynamic? The fact that Montana hadn't quite arrived yet; they were more this spark plug upstart team rather than this this nationally known uh, sort of Goliath that they then eventually became.
0: Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. I mean at that time the Big Sky it was it was really you know Boise State and Idaho were the two big schools. Nevada you know had left in like ninety one um and you know then it came out you know heading into the ninety five season that Boise and Idaho were leaving but those were the two dominant programs, the big programs in the big sky at that time and Montana was still fighting uh they were still you know kind of the underdog uh and, and Dave kind of personified that by being you know this five foot ten, hundred and sixty pound, you know, nerd. <laughs> you know, with glasses, <laughs> if you saw him off the field, that you wouldn't go like, no way that this guy is doing what he's doing. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a totally different era of, of Grizz football. There wasn't that that dynasty, that dominance. And, um, you know, in 93, they lost in the playoffs at home, and they wouldn't lose in the playoffs at home again until – Oh gosh, when when was it?
1: 2013 um, against Coastal Carolina. 99.
0: Well, 99. 99. They, that's 99 right. They lost to Youngstown in the first round uh, of the playoffs. But yeah, it was a different it was a different era, and, and they weren't you know the fan base was big and it was growing. But like I said before, they weren't putting 25,000 fans in in the stands. And when I actually went back and looked at some of the attendance numbers from that '95 season, the week after they played um Boise State they played a division two team at home and the the tenants dropped back down and went from like 18,000 to 11,000 so it was way way different time
2: John you you went into journalism the University of Montana did you work did you you know do the, the the Kyman while you were there no um
0: I actually had worked at the Great Falls Tribune um my senior year in high school and Kind of got my feet wet under the legendary sports editor George Geist there, and he had told me, "Hey, when you go to Missoula, if you want to work at the paper, let me know." I, you know, I know that they have a good, you know, part-timers program. Um, so my first semester, I, I, you know, got acclimated to college life, and I started working at the Missoulian in January of '94 when I was a freshman in college, and I stayed there, you know, my entire time in college. So I never. I never did the Kaiman thing. And I was a broadcast journalism. Um, I was more on the broadcast side with that was my emphasis. So I was working at the newspaper, but my interest at the time was actually to get into television. So most of my classes were um, over at the it used to be, I think it was 7:30. 30 Eddie, a little white house, not far from the Adams center, which is now gone and the, the law school building is there and they built that brand new journalism school. But, We used to have this little old house over on Eddie that uh, the broadcast students would have our classes in.
2: Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank. And Coulter, while First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly.
1: Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division I AA playoffs. Previously in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division I AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And, of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship.
2: First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. And so when you're working at the Missoulian, and I mean, it's not like you're the beat writer of the Grizzlies or something like that. What is it that you're up to? I was
0: the I was beat writer of like the Hellgate Girls Volleyball. Program. Yeah, right. Nice, there nice. you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's... No, it was, that's true. Yeah. And, and so, but you were around it. Um <laughs> You know, you were like being there on those Saturdays during the football season. And, and you know, it was Kim Brigham in at the time and and Ryle Cummings and, and Bob Meserell that were doing the majority of the of the Grizz football stuff. It was just cool to be around it.
2: Like you said, I mean, you're in the room, right? Well, well, these folks who are doing this, you know, full time professionally have been doing it for years covering and they're they're doing it covering this team of which you are, you know. Friends and student, you know, uh, associates, you know, cohorts with all the guys uh, in this team and everybody else at the school at that time. But you have like a window right in through the journalism side of this. What did it look like through that window?
0: Well, it, it was it was fun to see how it was growing and and how important it was in Missoula. And you know, I think at the Missoulian, we always prided ourselves even at that time. And I learned a lot from Kim. Kim Brigham is a great writer. He's still at the Missoulian, and not, um, you know, doing sports, but he's a fantastic writer. And Ryle was a fantastic writer. Um, but just to see how important it was and how much, how um, the resources that the Missoulian put in to cover in grid football and how that continued to grow as they got better. You got to remember, this is the, there was no internet, um, newspapers were still, I, I kind of consider myself to have worked in like the last great era of, of newspapers. Um, because newspapers were flying off the shelf at that time. Advertising was good. The newsroom was a fun place to be because there were lots of people. It was humming. The phone was ringing and there was, it's not like anything like it, like it is today. So yeah, that was really cool. And to see those pages, you know, as, as they're put together and read the stories before they're even, you know, going to print that those, those were fun, te- fun things. And you, you remember though, the times, you know, when, you know, they would travel uh, with a team and, and like the kind of technology that we had back then to uh, send a story to back to the newspaper. I mean, email didn't exist. You had these little, they call them trash 80 um what are the like radio shack computers yeah that you basically word processors and then you had to to plug in through you know plug in through a phone and dial into the phone and help that the computer back at the missoulian would like take the code and pass your story into the system and and all the it'd be like all right Everybody, Kim's going to send a story now. Let's everyone start praying that it comes come through. <laughs> so it was, it was way. And I'm not joking about that. And and you'd be the one because when I started doing the Grizz football like in '97, it was still pretty much the same way. And so you'd be sitting in a hotel somewhere, praying that the computer wouldn't crash back at the Missoulian, and it you know it would catch your story and they'd be able to get it or. Hey, we got the first five paragraphs and then the rest is just a jarbled mess. And so there was, the technology's come a long way since then. I feel so old talking about that kind of stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> John, let's go back to the ninety five season, right? I mean, there you are at the University of Montana and Dave in his senior year is doing his thing that like you said, they beat Boise. That was a big a big game in that season and then they get three home playoff games in a row somewhat surprisingly particularly that semifinal uh that they got but they absolutely roll up all of their opponents and then off they go to uh, uh marshall and west virginia to play in this national championship and lo and behold they get it what stands out to you what do you remember about that postseason run and especially that championship game
0: well you know first of all if you look back at that season, they were never ranked like higher than fourth in the nation. And I think they entered the playoffs, maybe sixth. So it wasn't like they went to that playoffs as, as a favorite to win the national title or even go to the national title game. So, you know, Thanksgiving weekend was always tough because everyone went back home and uh, I'm sure that Friday or even that Saturday before the game, that time, you know, we were all getting together, all the high school guys and playing Our turkey bowl and we had t-shirts and we had a you know guys would do up bios like a media guide and we'd have fun with it and i think that year we probably played it in memorial stadium uh in gray falls where we played our high school games and then we'd come back and watch you know the grizz and i won that first game like 48 to nothing and then you go back to campus and georgia southern came in for the for the quarterfinals and um number one at that time, you know, Washington Grizzly Stadium was grass. Georgia Southern was run, running the, the triple flex option, you know, that, that they did forever or whatever you want to call it.
1: The true and flex bone, exactly.
0: Yes, yeah. And, and, you know, Montana in 89 had gone to Georgia Southern and got waxed really, really good in the playoffs. Um, so I think Montana and, – and, you know, remember, that's still Don Reed, Jerome Sowers, a lot of those coaches – uh, we're still there on the sidelines. That they wanted, you know. Now they got Georgia Southern in in their place, and the the field I remember was like ice. And Georgia Southern could not run any kind, any semblance of an option offense that day. And I think the final score was like forty five to nothing. And Georgia Southern wanted nothing to do with them. So then Montana, I remember. Later that afternoon, driving in Missoula, and one of the Missoula radio stations had picked up, like I think it was maybe the Appalachian State-McNeese, or or, well, it would have been Stephen F. Austin-Appalachian State uh, game that was going on in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Because if somehow Appalachian State upset McNeese, who was the number one seed, or sorry, Stephen F. Austin upset Appalachian State. Right there would be – Montana would get to host that semifinal game. And so Stephen F. Austin, um, you know, gets the upset, and then it's like, holy cow, man, the national semifinals are going to be in Missoula. That Saturday that they played Stephen F. Austin was the coldest I had ever been at a football game in my life. Uh, I went to the Georgia Southern game the Stephen F. Austin game, number one, like, at that time, they put both semifinals on TV, but it wasn't like ESPN. But all I know is the Grizz game had to start at, like, 10 in the morning. So it was really early. I mean, it was, you know, nine thirty, nine o'clock showing up at the stadium, and it was just bitterly cold. And I was seated in the south end zone, and, you know, Montana just jumped them, and you could tell – Stephen F. Austin wanted to go back to Texas as quickly as possible. Um, I remember Nate Dolan catching a touchdown pass. I think that made it like 35 to seven or something at halftime, and we we looked at each other and we're like, as cool as this is to be here, it is so cold. It's on TV. Let's go back to the dorms and watch watch the rest of the game. So we did that. Obviously, they won like 70 to 14. Steamrolled them. And then, you, you know, then you set up, wow, Montana's playing for a national championship.
3: Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot, connect to more.
1: When when, uh, the Big Side Conference celebrated its 50th anniversary, you guys named 50 greatest athletes of all time. Dave Dickinson came in as number one. and As we know, I mean, he was a three-time Big Sky Conference Offensive MVP. He won the Walter Payton Award his senior year. Everything he accomplished during the regular season is well chronicled, and all his accolades are well-deserved. But him in the playoffs, it seemed, was an even different level, and he, he proved that both during his time at CMR, as well as with the Montana Grizzlies, as well as during his career in the CFL as well. What sort of level could Dave Dickinson get to when it came down to lose or go home?
0: Well, the, you need to know about Dave is how ultra-competitive he is and how much belief that he had in himself and his teammates. I mean, if you go back to that first game that I talked about earlier where he started, there's a story about how they were down, you know, like 35-14 to 14 in the fourth quarter to a Division two team at that time, South Dakota state, and he was in the huddle and he looked at those guys and you remember he's a sophomore making his first start. And he said, if you don't believe we, if you don't believe we can't come back and win this game, I don't want you in my huddle. Get out of here. And that to me epitomized who Dave was as a competitor. So when you gave him that chance, to to compete at a national level in a national playoff. He wanted to prove himself. You know, this kid he had a chip on his shoulder too, because there were a lot of people that said he was too small, didn't have the arm strength, wasn't fast enough to, to be the quarterback for the Montana Grizzlies. A lot of people thought he should have just gone to like Carroll. So I think he always wanted to prove people wrong. Not a lot not a lot unlike another great big sky athlete, Damian Lillard. Who, who does it, you know, night in, night out in the NBA now. You know, when those – they have a chip on their shoulder and, and they just have this desire to prove prove the naysayers wrong. And and that's what Dave did. And what's mind-boggling about that 95 season, if you look at his statistics, number one, I, I know you guys have probably talked about the fact that his playoff stats in 95 don't technically count because the NCAA didn't count those toward – playoff games towards your overall statistics. And, I mean, his, his playoff numbers in 95 were ridiculous. But the other thing, if you go back and look at the amount of times in the 95 season where Dave played the first half and two drives in the second half, and the game was so far out of, out of hand that they just took him out of the game. I mean, if that guy had played actual, you know, 14 games that year, start to finish, what his statistics could have been, I mean, it, it's it's mind-boggling. Coulter in
2: 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game, and former First Security Bank President Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered.
1: Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix. Several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up, certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. For Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. For Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. The the trinity of this 95 team is sort of Dave Dickinson, Don Reed, Andy Larson for making the, the kick that will resonate forever in, in Grizz football history but there were so many other guys that were pivotal members of this team. Who else did you remember uh, just playing key roles and, and having uh, important influences on on that rise in '95?
0: Well, Joe Douglas was a huge addition. He had you know come from Oregon State, where at the time they were a, a run team, and so he didn't have you know any statistics really of of much at Oregon State. And he was a huge addition to that receiving core, which already had like Matt Wells and Mark, Mark, uh, Mike Earhart. Um, the, you know, I look at the de the defense is a huge story from that year, because that was the one thing that they said always held Montana back was that its defense wasn't good enough. And here in the in the playoffs, you know, they shut out uh, two of they had allowed 14 points in the first three. Playoff games and and had two shutouts. So you know Blaine McElmurray, Sean um, Jason Crebo, uh, you know they, Randy Riley. Um, there's a couple defensive tackles I can't remember oh their names right now. But yeah, I mean that that was a that was a really good really good team and, and uh, you know when, uh, Stendry, Kelly Stendry, um could catch balls out of the backfield. I'm hoping he was on that team because I'm starting to get confused a little
1: bit. He, he was. He was it a senior end kind of six. He and together. Josh Brannon yeah. kind of split.
0: Yep. Yeah. Josh Brandon and and like Ralph Pacheco as a like a true freshman wide receiver out of Hawaii did some night you know did some great things and so yeah I mean it was it was a fun team to watch because of the offense that they played but if not for the way that the defense stepped up you know, they wouldn't have won that national title. And, you know, the way that they played against Marshall in in the 95 national championship game, I mean, because Montana's offense didn't play all that well. That that Marshall team was really, really good. So, Dallas Neal's another guy that was the punter, another kid from from Great Falls, you know, and then kind of developed it as a tight end. Um, I think he was playing as a true freshman that year
2: so john you finish up first of all the 95 season comes to a close montana's a national champion you graduate from the university of montana and you go into journalism and you start writing for the missoulian eventually you cover the grizzlies what did you see in the years that followed as a journalist and doing this professionally now at the university of montana and in missoula that you would say you know that was a turning point uh If you see it that way, for what the nat- for what the ninety five season was and then what that national championship was
0: you mean from that point on, what was the turning point yeah like after
2: after you finished school and there's that you know they have this national championship, yeah. and all the Grizz program has arrived, and now you are doing sports journalism in this city, you know covering the school yeah. that you attended what what did you see that was you know maybe different after that than it was before?
0: Well, winning a national championship gave them so much credibility and for the, for the Grizz boosters and fans who had suffered through the days at old Dornblazer stadium, they had so much pride and there was so much pride in the, in the fan base, you know, the, the, the students, You, you remember like wanting to get that national championship gear and how much that meant to wear that national championship with pride. And I mean, It's 25 years later. You could still go bars in the bars in Missoula and there's still photos of those guys. I don't know. The Stockman still have the, uh, the banner for that was hanging in the stadium in Huntington. I mean, I hope they finally took that thing down, but (laughs) you know, like that just, and then it just took off from there. I mean, in 96, that team might've been better than, than the 95 team in a lot of ways it was. And, and, you know, they were one or two all year, they just happened to play a Marshall team that, you know, had announced they were they were moving up to one A so they were able to get, you know, Randy or Eric Kresser at quarterback and, and Randy Moss at wide receiver and and all they needed was Randy Moss. And, you know, then they had a couple down years in ninety seven, ninety eight, still made the playoffs but weren't quite as good. But when Joe you know, and then obviously Joe Glenn took over and in in two thousand when when Mick he left to go to Utah State and they were they had a really good team and Joe just did a tremendous job with that and Joe was able to fire up the fan base even more and then they expanded the stadium again they put the turf in they brought in the video board you know Wayne Hogan who was the athletic director at the time was really forward thinking and and wanted to make it a gigantic huge event and make Grizzly game days not just about football but about the entertainment value of uh, of Saturdays in Missoula, so and and I and I obviously worked those years with Joe Glenn, so I I love that Eric Gris football too. The, love those. I was really close to a lot of those guys because I talked to them every day and wrote stories about them. So, but the, winning that first national title just gave the program such a such a boost that they they could do it. They could compete at the national level and they could win. You know. Compete year in year out for national titles.
1: You've been with the Big Sky Conference now since two thousand four, John, and it's been it, the, the evolution of the league and the reinvention of the league several times over during the modern era has been uh, fascinating in itself. I mean, in nineteen ninety three, Boise State and Nevada both leave the league. Nineteen ninety six, Idaho leaves the league, and Portland State, Sac State join the league, and we've had multiple expansions and additions and subtractions since then. But I, I know that when the FCS playoffs first came about, Division One AA playoffs back in nineteen seventy eight, it seemed that the, the national champions were the national championships were owned by either the dynasties like Eastern Kentucky and Georgia Southern, or the teams that got red hot like Boise State did in nineteen eighty or Idaho State nineteen eighty one or, or Montana State in nineteen eighty four. But since yeah. the the sort of the modern era, the page turned with the some of the traditional charter members leaving and the league expanding. How important do you think 1995 was just to the overall scope of the league and legitimizing uh, the Big Sky Conference, and how important was Montana to giving the Big Sky a consistent national power?
0: Well, that's a, that's a great point because, like like you said, Nevada had been you know competing for national titles, and they left the league. Boise that ninety Boise actually left at the same time as Idaho, so that 95 season was the last year that both Idaho. Montana and Boise State competed in the big sky together and you know Idaho had been a perennial playoff team Boise had played in the national title in 94 so I think there was some worry like all right you lost Nevada you're losing Boise and Idaho do you have someone to step up to the mantle and and carry uh, football forward in the big sky are you still going to be a national player without those three schools and Montana proved that it could be so i think i think it was really important for the conference um because you will, will hear people say wow well, montana they were dominant at, during that era because idaho and boise left the league eh, well hold on a second because in 95 those teams were still there and montana you know won the national title and in 94 they went to the national semifinals and in the 93 you know, they they made the playoffs. So Montana was starting to make its move as those schools were exiting the league. So I think it was really important. And, and yeah, there was a time where Montana really did have to carry the banner for the Big Sky when it came to the, the playoffs. Um, you know, Eastern Washington had a great run in 97 and made the semifinals. But, but other than that, it, it was really Montana carrying the banner you know, deep into the playoffs for the Big Sky Conference for a lot of years.
2: John Casper joining us on Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Championship. John, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it.
0: Enjoyed my time. Anytime, guys.
1: Chris Grace, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions Podcast Series, commemorates Montana's epic run to its first national crown. Now, you have a chance to own a piece of history by purchasing a custom piece of art specifically commissioned to accompany this epic archiving of history. The one-of-a-kind painting features Hall of Fame quarterback Dave Dickinson, legendary Grizz head coach Don Reed, and Andy Larson, the Helena native who drilled the game-winning kick to lift Montana to a 22-20 victory over Marshall on December 16, 1995. Secure this limited edition work of art while supplies last to ensure no Grizz fan ever forgets that historic moment. To purchase number 195 championship, A -a one-of-a-kind painting by former Grizz wide receiver Ryan Bagley. Visit rbagley3.com or check out grizzgreats.com and click on the link. Or you can visit the ESPN Missoula Facebook page for more information. From full-size canvases that are professionally framed to prints, hooded sweatshirts, and t-shirts, don't miss your chance to get this one-of-a-kind painting by a Montana artist for the great people of Montana. Visit rbagley3.com or grizzgreats.com to make your purchase today. Thank you for listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Grizz Greats is available on all of your podcasting platforms, whether you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Transistor, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. To find all the Grizz Greats, you can just search Grizz Greats on your platforms, or you can visit grizzgreats.com or 1029ESPN.com and click on the podcast tab. Chris Greats is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula.